0: All right, so thank you for listening. You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, where we take our live show from USF Bulls Radio, and we publish it here for you to listen at your enjoyment. Um, thanks for
1: listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 a.m. on campus and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So this is the 4 o'clock hour of Anthro Alert. If you haven't listened to the show in a while, we this is our second episode of being a two-hour long show instead of our normal 60-minute segment. So uh, if you tuned in for the first hour, we were sitting down talking to Alex about some anthropology stuff and some sea turtles and continuum of science. It was an interesting conversation. So now joining us for the 4 o'clock hour for... Um, The second half of our show, we have Alex returning again with his um, research partner and colleague, Christy Prouty, from the uh, Environmental Engineering Department. So Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you all so much for having me.
1: Thank you for volunteering your time to uh, come on and and talk to us uh, about what you guys are doing. So can you give a brief uh, introduction, I guess, talk about your background a little bit and what brought you in here?
2: Sure. Okay. Um, Thanks again for having me. So my name is Christy Proudy. I'm a doctoral candidate in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. My background is all environmental engineering from undergrad through where I am now. Um, My interest for the most part is in system dynamics modeling. So that's kind of the platform that I use. But I use that to look at human, engineered, and environmental systems. So how do those things interact? What does interaction mean? Can we quantify it?
1: Can you break down systems dynamic modeling for us a little bit?
2: (laughs) Yes, so system dynamics looks at um, quantifying interactions, so quantifying things that change over time, counting something. And then looking at all of the factors that influence, how it changes, why it changes. And then you can do that to maybe optimize the system, although I know, like, optimization with anthropologists is, like, blasphemous. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> first joke. Ha. Uh, but it, so that's what we do. We do a lot of optimization, but I also like to do um, strategy testing. So, okay. So if we were to implement maybe an educational campaign or uh, to improve a technology how will that actually affect the system that we're talking about okay the human engineered environment that that collaborative system
1: okay i can already see sort of where the collaboration between you and anthropology kind of can Ah, tie in so good yeah (laughs) that's some that's some good stuff right there all right so let's just hop into um the project that you guys are working on yes um so whoever wants to start give us uh i guess give us the rundown on on what you guys are are currently doing
2: hey alex and give us um just give us the introduction on who you are again for those of us joining on our three o'clock hour oh yeah
0: okay uh sure i'm alex webb i'm an applied anthropology phd uh student this is my second semester does that work yeah do i feel known <laughs> yeah I, I now know you you now know me good okay talk
2: about our project
0: um, you know, ironically, it's more your project than mine for sure. Um
2: I, I told him to say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm looking for jobs, so right. I'm just kidding. Yeah.
1: Um Self promotion, that's yeah. what we're about here <laughs> on Anthroague. <laughs> so the ten
2: dollars under the table. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, please for real.
0: Um so the impetus for the project is uh in there's a small penin- peninsula in Belize called the uh Plasencia Peninsula. Okay. Um that had a uh, proposition for, uh, they run, so we do wastewater system. I should, like, let everyone know just how boring this next little bit might be. (laughs) Whoa.
2: Then we can come back to it and we can talk about. How
0: awesome it it is.
2: It is is not out of sight, out of mind. It is a potential gold mine, as a matter of fact. You can recover so many resources from wastewater, but that's not what this discussion is about. Please continue. Go ahead, Al.
0: There we go. Um. Anyway, so they, they run uh, primarily on septic systems, and they're fairly old, outdated systems. Um, and so,
2: systems that, because they're old and outdated, a lot of the liquid nutrients, because you're also talking about a coastal community, so it's really coarse sand. So, all of that liquid nutrients normally would be taken up by plants and stuff like that, but it's just flowing through the sand out to the lagoon, which is where there are a lot of manatees, seagrass. And like a young fish stock. And so it's like causing a lot of plants to grow there and reduce the oxygen level. And so that's bad for that aquatic environment. And also on the seaside, uh, it impacts corals and whatnot. Please continue. But
0: was that the motivation for starting the project? Or was there all, it was there a human health concern, right? As well, people yeah, swimming in the that, water. Yeah, yeah, that,
2: that as well. So,
0: And at this point, their drinking water uh, is not usable in terms of wells on that area.
2: Yeah, you would not definitely not use the wells. Right.
1: So these nutrients that you, you you're losing, what exactly are they and what did they contribute to this?
2: Um predominantly nitrogen, Okay. Uh, also phosphorus less less so phosphorus than nitrogen. It comes from like wastewater, so normal uh, right. like what you flush down the toilet sure. should be polite. Yeah. Um and so I was mentioning that we we came to the peninsula because um, the, there was actually going to be um, a centralized. There was a proposed centralized wastewater treatment plant, and the community members were railing up about like that's not what we want. This is we don't we don't think we actually need this. And so, as an interdisciplinary group of anthropologists and engineers, sorry, I just hijacked this. Uh, no, no, I handed it to you. I was I was <laughs> like, if I like, tank this enough, t- she'll just like <laughs> tee <just laughs> t- it up there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, again, that was another ten dollars on the table that I didn't <laughs> That's um, 20 so far. Yeah, right. there you go. Um, so for the, for the interdisciplinary group, anthropologists and engineers, we wanted to understand, okay, we, we came in on the heels of this centralized system being proposed. And we said, okay, well, we study a lot of those systems as engineers, and our anthropology colleagues study a lot of um, the impacts of tourism on development and things like that. And so we said, well, let's just ask people, do they think – Resources can be recovered when we look at this big centralized system and all this other stuff. And we just, like, stepped into a wasp and, and to to you back, step into them? You don't.
0: I think you walk into them. You walk, walk into them, yeah.
2: We disturbed. We yeah. may or may not have, like, <laughs> disturbed a little something. Yeah, anyway. so, so you poked one. You poked yeah. you poked Well, and to back stuff. it up yeah. a little
0: bit, the reason I'm a little uh, relaxed on the quality of the septics is that that largely – what happens in these development situations is you have a – Gener- there's different articulations of how the how the problem arose. And so although an engineer might go there and go, oh, yes, all the things should be. We have effluents in the lagoon, and we have people in that lagoon, and we have uh, uh, all these um, different marine organisms, and mm-hmm. it's going to create low oxygen and conditions, kill everything. Um, so there's all these potential downsides, but the articulation of why this centralized system, which is to say that if septics is like something you'd have in your backyard, it's basically a tank, it's self-contained on your property. Right. A centralized system would put a series of pump stations in a big pond where everything would get pumped into, and then you're paying the city government. It's what you have now. Um, where uh, if you're in Tampa, or where generally uh, in a, any metropolitan area, you're going to have a centralized system where the government manages it, as opposed to if you're rural, you might have a septic where you manage it yourself. So right. this is going to be one of the key arguments about it. And so the quality of the septics, f- one articulation that that was a problem for the reasons she listed for the environmental health and the human health concerns. The other articulation was that as tourism was increasing in the area, and they were proposing to add mass tourism through cruise ships, um, and to in order to facilitate the sort of acute amount of people that will come during high tourist season that you need a centralized waste system to manage all these people because the small septic systems aren't aren't, going to be able to handle this many people revolving in and out. Um, And so that became uh, part of the unpacking that friction between the community and the government is based on that articulation of what the actual problem is and why we're solving it. Because as you articulate that, the solution is based on the, the way you articulate the problem, and that constrains the rest of the process.
1: So, what were some of the interpretations of what the problem actually was?
2: You don't want us to go into that. That's another wasp nest that we will be. No, th- I'm just kidding. It, but, yeah. but I think it's
0: basically those two. There's a number of NGO. It, it, it comes from multiple sources. So, there was an NGO there that was that was fairly supportive of doing some sort of wastewater redevelopment because of mm-hmm. the. As she was saying, it was it was um, it's. Poisoning the lagoon, essentially this. Um,
2: Public health and environmental risk.
0: Right. So the, that was definitely one from some local NGOs. And even from the uh, federal government, they that was one of their angles. But uh, another – so you, you, you kind of get this idea both by talking to officials and through the uh, materials that they're spreading out and how they disseminate, wh- wh- what information they're disseminating among the community. Right. And the other one is that this idea that tourism is coming. It's an inevitability, and we need to be able to, to meet it, and we'll have all this economic growth and green jobs and stuff will come out of this. And so that was a big um, push. But each one, uh, like I said, leads to different solutions. And if you want the um, high tourism, then you, it's a very expensive ordeal to put in a centralized um, system, which the local government uh, local nor- definitely doesn't have the money to do that, and the federal government doesn't have the money to do that. And so they have to engage with uh, some larger institution like, and in this case, an international development bank. Right. But the way international, international development banks don't just give you money – they loan you money, which means that whatever solution you're going to come up with, if you're going to take money from them, has to pay itself back. Right. Which means now that sense of control is going to now be an issue, an issue because the, you're moving from an individual household, I have a septic on my property, I don't pay for it, I take care of it when I when I take care of it, or I don't, to a system where I'm going to have to pay the government to take care of it for me.
1: Interesting. and Okay. Yeah, and that's obviously probably led to some conflict yeah i don't want to pay for something that i already do by myself
0: right and so the federal government was looking at it and so to add one more layer of complexity because that's my job here like (laughs) she's rolling her eyes um
2: just try to manage the complexity right yeah um and also model it (laughs)
0: because a number means it's real no number means it's not real um so uh, about 20 years ago, they had had a problem. As we said, they, they, for wa- their drinking water system went through a similar process. They got it through either catchments or some people used wells, depending on where you were and the quality of wells. Um, but they would go through periods where they, you know, they had to boil their water or whatever. Um, if, uh, if there was a heavy rain, their wells would be contaminated, et cetera. And so it, the federal government um, centralized their water, drinking water system and piped it from a of lagoon onto this peninsula. But at that time, they had left the control of the system and the billing of the system to two uh, lo- local communities. There's really two major ones on the island, and they're little they're they're very different communities, um, w- along with some small ones scattered throughout. But these two ones got uh, a, a, uh, oversight of their drinking water through these water water boards. And so what they were able to do is uh, basically put a tax on tourists that came in. For the water so that they could get a reduced cost on their water. So they And then they would also use it to generate money for scholarships, etc. So they used it sort of as an economic tool to, and, a, and a resource that they managed the way they wanted. And when they proposed a centralized wastewater system, they wanted to remove everything and take it to the government. So part of the friction was not only do we now have to pay for this centralized wastewater system, you're also taking away our economic tool in terms of managing the water system and putting it in some private public organization that we have no control over anymore. And so that was a big friction. Area. I can,
2: I, I will say, I think in, in the the way we're trying to navigate the complexity now is highlight the different perspectives, you know, so the federal government has some agenda yeah. and, and some desires. They have a commitment to public health, environmental health, but then they also would like economic to growth. have the economic growth. But at what means and at what cost? And so that's where we started to look um, into just kind of who who in the community can can talk about this and and what are what are they saying? And and it's not always such a chasm. It's not always such a rift. It's sometimes the fact that um, you know there were just issues, just kind of clumsy development issues with um, maybe folks weren't um, brought into the conversation at the right time. Maybe information was um, not well presented, and then maybe there was some other um, issues that that were more intentional. We don't we don't know that for sure. We've certainly rep- seen that in our interviews and things like that. So. So these are the things that we know, and yet um, we also know that the population is growing, and with a growing population in a coastal environment with sensitive environmental surroundings, uh, marine surroundings, w- we know that there are going to be likely wastewater needs, growing wastewater needs, particularly as um, as the population grows. And so, um, there's no silver bullet. A solution, but we wanted to say, okay, well, we know that there aren't any silver bullet solutions. Everybody's going to have to kind of either compromise, or we would like to kind of highlight the way that some people are compromising more than others, or some people are just kind of getting squished.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: yeah,
1: how long have you guys been working on this project?
2: Um, together or like no, with just the, how, the how department? Yeah,
1: how long has the department? Um,
2: been since 2013. So two thousand several years. Right. So a handful of years. So also plug uh, National Science Foundation Partners for International Research and Education. Um, So that's NSF PIRE grant. And that's the interdisciplinary grant um, between uh, the departments of civil and environmental engineering, anthropology, marine science. Um, Big grant. Woo. Oh, nice. USF, University Mm -hmm. of the Virgin Islands and University of Belize are all partners.
0: Great. Look at you. <laughs> She's so good at this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so
0: yeah. So, yes, you had these uh, different articulations, and then those little different. So, and I think, like she said, uh, part of the problem, which is it's pretty age-old in development, is that they, they there's two ways to go about uh, implementing that. And there's one is an information campaign where you just go tell people what you want to propose, and another one where you consult people about what you'd like them to do. And they... Seemed like from the responses that people felt they more or less did an information campaign where they would they would hold community meetings and stuff just kind of show up and tell you what they're going to do. But um, and I think probably not being sensitive to some of those old economic arrangements. And what we hope is if, as you highlight, as you're saying, that we highlight some groups might get have to compromise more than others, and it and it facilitates certain activities more than others. For instance, mm. in this particular instance, they wanted to put a. The the settling pond um, near... Facultative Lagoons.
2: Facultative Lagoons. Same thing, but... Yeah, go ahead.
0: I'm trying to use the nice words. <laughs> she settling, always berates me for being ponds. too jargon-heavy. Okay.
2: No, no, no. And I, well, they wanted to put these ponds in a community, probably the poorest community, on the peninsula. And so um, that's also the community that if they do kind of make a lot of noise, they don't necessarily have... Um, political power yeah political power and a lot of a lot of um maybe cohesion with the other communities on the peninsula so i mean again that's kind of one of those things that i call clumsy development which is we we we've studied and engineers anthropologists lots of folks have studied these problems um but they often still occur because we don't always go back to the communities or to the governments that are making similar mistakes and just kind of saying like okay how 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 did this happen again what's going on? How can we kind of prevent it? Can I also and, ask one more thing we say we say context sensitive why do we have to say context sensitive
0: i I prefer culturally sensitive
2: why but, do we have to say sensitive
0: um
2: can can it be like culturally Aware or yeah, just competent, like generally, like Ooh,
0: that's good. It kind of raises the bar. Like, sensitive seems like you did some extra work, competence, like you did what you were supposed to do. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, like, not, that's, I not. was thinking about that. Okay, because can I? I don't mean to hide no, you Just soapbox
0: it. Like, hey, just,
2: just for a brief moment. So, we're going to this conference, and I looked at the other folks that are going to be in the room with us. Um, a lot of folks who practice environmental law and whatnot. Anyway, so I'm like. Hypersensitive, I'll say sensitive, uh, because I I want us to show our work, interdisciplinary work that I think everybody should be doing. No matter what, but I don't want it to come across as like you know five technical presentations, and then like we come up there and it's like here's our kumbaya song, and we just you know like we like my long flowy hair, like you know I'm gonna like flower child, sort Mine of so. a deal. yeah yeah I'll too, but. Um, I want it. I want it to be like a. I don't know, like a lighthouse shining. You know, shining forth information for like this is. This is just the way you should be going. Everybody should be doing this, whether you're doing like environmental consultations here in Florida or elsewhere. Like you should be asking all of the community members.
1: You want people to take you seriously is essentially what you're saying, like, in or the project not to act seriously. like this is a special case. I think is yeah. what you're saying that this I is know. like
0: this should be business as usual that you and and our the strength of our of this argument that she makes is that the the um, centralized uh, system isn't going to happen because they right. didn't take a culturally competent or sensitive approach, and so there's a huge cost to not doing this. So it's not just that we're right. doing this for the kumbaya reason, although I think that's a, a certainly a worthwhile re- – it's the equitability and of distribution of impacts and benefits right. is is enough. But you, I, even beyond that, to say, well, you, just your uh, risk or your likelihood of success goes up if you do this, I think is another strong argument. Because the right. goal
2: of that would be – success would be community members informing decisions. Because a lot of our um, – qualitative information that was collected from the field was that we were okay with other people managing and kind of contributing to these decisions, but we want to have a part to say in it as well about, like I was saying, like equity, equity, affordability, and, you know, access for people. And so that being said, it's not necessarily that they have to be the ones who are choosing it, but they want to show the things that are important to their community for them to be able to access this resource and I also Process.
0: think sort of looking at it this as, as sort of a landscape of impacts uh, helps to um, – because it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't do A or B, but at least it lets you know the, the what some of the outcomes of it might be and for who. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for instance, the putting the ponds uh, or lago- faculty of lagoons mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in this – situating in this particular – community also puts them at higher risk for any of the environmental health outcomes that might come from those, because the lagoons can flood over, They uh, vector-borne disease from mosquitoes, et cetera. They're kind of sitting next to it. And it also ends up... No?
2: No, so, I'm just so proud. So proud. Keep going.
0: Um, but it's also situated near a um, series of shrimp farms, mm. which it stands to ruin. And it's also could, in the event of a hurricane, the shrimp farms already put a fair amount of effluence into the into the lagoons nearby. and. So, adding to that, um,
2: could be a real mess. Yeah,
0: and it could it could essentially right. essentially really diminish the quality of that uh, industry. And so, this is what I kind of was trying to get to earlier. Like, how you make how you articulate the problem brings about certain solutions, and that has certain um, accelerating or diminishing impacts on other processes. So, we, right. if you choose this, we we might be able to have more tourists, and that'll encourage more hotel development, which will be. A, a separate issue, but it, it also might diminish um, shrimp farming. So at least being aware of that says, okay, do we take certain percent and allocate it to keeping these traditional livelihoods alive, or do we figure out ways to help them segue into a different market? Or right, you know, it, 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 I don't think you ever have to, there's never an optimum. You can never optimize, probably, but you can at least start allegedly.
2: De- uh, I'm yeah. Just kidding.
0: Start developing policies. We do
2: agree about that. The optimization.
0: Yeah. Yes, um, but you can hopefully. Put strategies on top of your strategy to say, okay, we're still going to go ahead with this, but let's also consider these or let's not do that, let's do something that maybe can't facilitate as much tourism, but we'll get better um, overnight stay tourism or luxury tourism where you get more dollar per person anyway so it, it just kind of highlights there's there's a million options, and so I think breaking right. things down and breaking down some complexities might actually reveal more opportunities than they even does problems. And right. so it's
1: it's really like a, pers- a way of looking at it in a perspective. I'm such an optimist. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, keeping these strategies in mind that, you know, trying to at least find some sort of solution or a way towards a solution, how do you guys um, navigate your role as, like, researchers in the community? Are you guys often, like, have to play the middleman position between, like, the federal government and the community, or do you feel like you have to be, like, the voice of the community? Or, you know, how do you navigate all the stakeholders and, and interests and, and agendas and things of that nature?
2: Shall I? I yeah. Yeah. Um, great question. Okay, a couple things. USF, shout out to the applied anthropology folks. Whoop, whoop. Uh, Because... I have learned from a lot of our colleagues there, Becky Wells, Christian. Uh, uh, no, sorry, Becky Zarger, Christian Wells, Linda Whiteford, and then other. What? I can't. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um. So yeah, I've I've learned from a lot of those folks how to try to navigate those dynamics gracefully and diplomatically without being dishonest to water quality you know like some some real facts and information that we're finding out um sure. and then also letting community members speak for themselves they're i mean that just sounds stupid to even say but um folks there actually are um just, i mean you know no surprise they're super well versed and and have right. a lot of great uh, information to share so um we we've tried to partner as best we can with, um, so Southern Environmental Association is an environmental group there. Um, the Placencia Co-op, which is the Fisherman's Cooperative. Um, the schools and stuff. The, so there's a coral restoration that does a lot of environmental stuff. Um, coral restoration group called that's Fragments coral, of Hope. coral,
0: by the way. <laughs> is what she yeah Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, rude. Anyway, so so these professors and my other colleagues have just tried to show me as an engineer that it's it's good to kind of hear what people have to say, ask a lot of questions, and then just use your skills in ways that would be helpful to people who ask and who might be interested in hearing about it, but not interjecting. Um, so in the applied anthropology sense, like we are there and we are a part of things. And so in some ways, um, we're all subjective. Uh, you know, I do try to, I do try to say, um, you know, like this is, this is the water quality that I have. This is the information I know. And then let that speak for itself. And if people ask me questions, answer those honestly. Um, but like Al had mentioned, a lot of times it's not necessarily just one one solution or one thing that's going to fit um so i okay so there there's that try to let try to let community members ask you questions and and answer the questions they ask don't interject let data speak for itself share data whoo big on that like share share information go back to the community members and i've made really good friends with the people who are there um so now i'm very invested you know i i care i'd talk to people often and hear how things are doing, what's going on. Are there more people coming? How have the rains been? You know, are, are places flooding? Is anybody, you know, like all of these things I care about. Um, So that's the community level. I will say as a – I was at a um, – with my professor, Dr. Tratz, Maya Trotz, who was speaking at NYU recently, and it was on resilience in the Caribbean. So she was speaking kind of from this perspective of infrastructure. And we were talking to some actual anthropology um, colleagues there who do more research um, in uh, Puerto Rico. And she was saying something about um, as an anthropologist, or I kind of brought up as an as an anthropologist, you're in the community and you're kind of studying that structure. As an engineer, I feel like we almost kind of float and pivot um, like two communities, but also to like um, industry. So corporations and then also in, in the government. And so I feel like that's a pretty unique perspective that I've had, you know, in, in all of these different areas and in those ways not speaking out of both sides of my mouth and being one thing to the community and one thing to everybody else but really just trying to ask questions and understand because I think in the community I have tried to um, talk about water quality issues and and education and stuff like that in with the entrepreneur that I work with I have tried to talk about um, new designs and stuff like that that would improve the effluent quality. And with the federal government, I've also said, you know, like there's some real needs for um, working in the community and actually getting people's feedback about what kind of technology they want. But it takes a lot of time, and that's the—I mean—that's the biggest critique for any of this is not the legwork. Um, that's enjoyable. It's just the time. And in academia, you gotta like get the publications out and stuff right. like that right you that was out. long long-winded but there you have it
1: yeah i mean it's it was a tough question i think but yeah i think that was a good answer that's that was that was interesting do you have anything oh, to no. contribute, Alex? She, <laughs> she killed that one <laughs> all right i think we're gonna pause there and um we're gonna take a short music break and then we come back we'll continue with the conversation hey bulls you're listening to anther alert um listening to the tail end of Anther alert so um you guys if you haven't been tuning in you missed a great conversation if you have um we've been listening to um, alex webb and christy proudy talk about their uh, collaborative project between the departments of civil engineering and environmental engineering and applied anthropology um, working on water wastewater systems in belize Um, and so now we would like to Put Christy on the spot here a little bit and talk about her experiences working with anthropologists and what kind of challenges that has presented um, from her perspective as as an engineer. So feel feel free to express challenges because.
2: Oh, I feel free. Yeah, <laughs> I ex- express those challenges often.
1: Yeah. Because um, anthropologists complain about it all the time, so you should. <laughs> you should be y'all able to complain
2: too. about your own challenges.
1: Oh yeah,
0: about we're, we're yeah. a navel gazing discipline. <laughs>
2: Ooh man. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I will say um, the biggest challenge, and this is for someone who studies and models complexity like interconnected systems. The anthropologists that I have worked with, like, constantly make the work more complex than it I already mm. perceive it to be. Right. Whew. and so. It makes me crazy. It's so funny because me in in the kind of engineering department that I'm in oftentimes I'll ask like socially motivated questions or you know kind of people centric questions and then you know folks are just like, oh my gosh, where's this girl coming from uh, and, and yet I think it's I think that's really important and um, and, and so yeah I add that complexity but good night. When you're working with engin- uh, with anthropologists, uh, it, is, it is like complexity on top of complexity on top of complexity. And I often am like, either I say something like, well, where are we going to draw the system boundary here, Al? Because it's like, okay, the community is complex, but then the community is nestled within the region. And then the region is nestled within, you know, these federal... Government policies, and then those government policies are just being formulated by international aid policy. I mean, and that's maybe that's just the economic side. That's not even like
0: well, isn't one of the problems like what? What do we mean when we say community? Oh my god, what do
2: you mean by community? What do you mean by system?
0: What do they do? Uh,
2: Have we really like? I mean, and then that's okay. So that's kind of conceptual. Then what about like? Do we have statistical significant like? Population? Have we? Okay, so maybe it's statistically significant, but does it actually? Is it representative? Because of you know, have you done a survey of all vulnerable population? And I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, okay, like we've got to just um, make some simplifi- simplification somewhere, and so. Right.
1: So how do you how do you try to rein that in? Then if you're working with anthropologists to, to try to to, to 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 meet in the middle somewhere, because I don't think anthropologists are necessarily great at coming up with maybe a solution, right? Ooh. I mean, we have a lot of solutions, Ooh. but like, mm. yeah, okay. I think applied anthropologists are better at that. But how do you rein us in as an engineer?
2: Oh. Mm. Well, patience number one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A lot of, lot of patience, a lot of meetings. Um, I'm trying to think about how to say this in just the right way. I think I'm okay with – I can see, like, the little glimmer of a really great project or a really great idea. And I'm okay with it taking a long time to really come to fruition. Right. Like, so when I started working with Al – Take this all the right way. When I started working with him, I thought, "Man, here's somebody who can do some really good stats work," and like, he's finally starting to like to be willing to like draw, like just cut cut some of the fat. Like, okay, we can't we can't deal with this case. We can't, you know, like let's start to draw some boundaries, start to chop things up, and kind of make it a little more manageable. And then, I mean, and and then um, you know, so so those are great skills. You see your great skills, and you kind of try to. You try to meet there and work there, like we're both, we're both interested in um, bringing complexity in, but actually managing it. You know, so so while he may look at something that is, you know, has has more of a multi-level perspective, you know, federal, you know, regional, local, economic political like all of these things and i'm just like what can we count and like Mm -hmm. do we have anything to count you know so so i try to hear hear what he's saying hear what he's saying be patient and then and then look at okay what are the what are the ways that we already overlap and and how can i kind of
1: all right uh thanks for sticking with us on that one and i don't think that was a issue with the radio I don't know if you guys heard that noise but there is some weird noises here in the radio so we we're trying to figure out in here in the station we we're trying to figure out what that was but it stopped so we're going to hop back in uh, we were i had asked Christy to talk about her experiences working with anthropologists and um, anthropologists love their complexity and um, so we were talking about when you're working in a collaborative group how do we how do we manage that complexity to package it into uh, something that can be turned in as some sort of a solution or be pre- presented as some sort of um, of a solution? So, Chrissy, I'll let you continue what you were saying. And, and while you're
0: thinking about how to answer that question, um, that sound that we thought that we heard is actually the fire alarm, and we are risking our lives to finish the show for you here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is just that important that we talk about this interdisciplinary work. Um, okay, so the gist of what I was saying is, Al and I have a different level of complexity that we would that we would probably want to talk about more. You know, maybe Al would bring in a lot of the kind of multi level perspectives, and I would want to put numbers to all of that. But mm-hmm. I think the the ways that we overlap, uh, we can usually get there in the conversation. It just sometimes takes a while, um, and I'm not always the best communicator. So No. Uh yeah, it's true. I know, right? It's, um so I have to ask a lot of questions and I have to do a lot of reading and other journals to be honest. Um which I think is which I think is great. Right. You know, um I want to be well versed to chat with anthropologists, but I say this all the time. I'm not an anthropologist you know i'm i'm an environmental engineer and and yet the ability to be able to pivot towards my social science colleagues is a delight you mm-hmm. know to mm-hmm. to use a little bit of their vocabulary or to be able to understand it and yet i desire to not only be palatable to academic journals but really more so the community members or the the government officials that we're working with like to disseminate what we're finding in a understandable way Mm -hmm. so that we're not navel gazing or just talking around on, you know, to different ivory towers, but that we're, um, and so, and so I think doing that as an engineer with so much help from anthropologists is a great benefit. That's about as mushy as I can get. And Uh... I'm done. (laughs)
1: All right. Alex, I guess I'll toss that question over to you. What was it? I mean, it might have not been a as like weird of an experience working with engineers since I mean you came from marine biology and, and stuff. So you kinda have a I guess more of a natural science background than, than some anthropologists do. Well I
0: uh I think sometimes the reason that um Anthropology, I like it is it's not so different than like marine ecology where you have mm-hmm. complex systems and mm-hmm. there's, you have to kind of go with a holistic approach because you're going to have a series of variables, any one species, whether it's coral, you, have, you know, uh, a series of variables affecting it. So right. I think it's but it's always a little loose. Um, so sometimes I think with engineering, you want like some some sense of certainty that I, I don't think exists. And so then. Because it doesn't, then you have to come up with ultimate alternative ways of framing a situation to say that this is not necessarily what is or what isn't, but how could we best move forward? So I think sometimes
2: yes, <laughs> but
0: but that doesn't always mean sticking a number, saying this is what it is. It's sometimes about how we um, how we want to value or what things we just want to consider, what processes we want to consider critical and to emphasize, and those don't always require a number. Go ahead. Hit me with that. Go ahead.
2: I just, yeah, I hear your words. And Mm -hmm. yet (laughs) I think that if we are going to evaluate something, then just to say for the sake of evaluation that we did it and we didn't put a number to it, there's got to, you...
0: Hold on. You just touched on a fundamental, hold on, fundamental difference. That for you, the fact, the act of putting a number on it somehow makes it more valid or more meaningful because this. you
2: have to measure it against some kind of objective scale and i know that i know Why? that i know that life Why? isn't this life that we're living isn't real the words that i'm speaking are just a cultural concept <laughs>
0: socially constructed
1: reality totally yes socially now, constructed. now who's proud of like, who
2: what is i mean like the nothing is real here this is all this is all just a figment of our imagination we're just constructing it everyone you're constructing even listening to this
1: we live in the matrix exactly
2: yeah. so when we come out of that matrix and we <laughs> look at life like with eyes that are like, okay, what kind of like constructive problem can be, or what kind of what kind of solution can come to this problem? Can we bring to this problem? That's all I'm saying, is that like, but that yes, can be
0: done without a number. For it instance, let me, it let's let's can, can so, do it's our so example? much more
2: actionable. Yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Yes. And I do agree that um, depending on context, we had this conversation a little earlier that there are right. times when you can. Um, be um depending on what your audience is numbers make more sense i don't know that going to a community all the time and and necessarily telling them these numbers is always helpful I've
2: never said that.
0: um no i'm just saying that um so i think one of the things we ran into because I, we did have this certain a different optimism when we started than when we are now um I'm optimistic the whole time, but I think when we started, we both had this kind of game plan, and I was very much into like we, I thought we were going to have a little model when we were done, and then and then we started c- couching all this information inside of these contexts, and that um, that strive towards holism it makes it so you have to start doing that, and then saying things like okay who's going to who manages the resources and the fact that there's a historical legacy of them managing their own resources in these, in almost a duplicate situation from 20 years ago, does that create kind of a path dependence where that would be a more culturally competent way of doing it, of, of shifting this over, even though their concerns would be, well, would they be able to pay back the loan, et cetera. Um, that isn't something it could be enumerated but I don't know that it makes it any more valid I think just going and saying hey you need to come up with a different situation because the one you situation the one you came up with didn't work because they didn't weren't going to go for it so, I'm not sure why
2: it gives you the opportunity to potentially try to compare a similar framework regionally el- and elsewhere so if you can say actually we have a standard by which we're really looking to get kind of a certain level of equitable distribution of impacts so say say everybody's got to compromise and everybody's got to compromise by about this much if we're not getting that and if all of the folks who control resources are continuing to get to control the resources then i would say that is a suboptimal. not that we're trying to optimize anything for lack of better words (laughs) but that that's not the best solution that should be not only bought into by the community but that should be um Encouraged by the government right. or whomever it might be that is right, doing it. we're the talking about
0: a specific process in a specific place, and and I think highlighting that this might be an important process is good. But to say this is standard, and if you go, if you go to Tampa and you want like somebody on a barrier island, you want to switch to a centralized system because you got some new system that they're going to have the same problems. They might not, and there might be plenty of places that are willing to just like go. I know I don't really care what our legacy is. It, it, to say that a historical process has to be. A, can't change some communities want them to change so that the idea of standardizing things actually makes me sometimes nervous because i think you're going to try to to blueprint stuff that that is squishy
2: it's not standardizing it it's a matter of it's a framework that gives you the ability to navigate that complexity and start to say like okay relative to maybe it's even relative to here who might it be that is having to negotiate the most Who's having mm-hmm. to compromise the most? I think that's what we're that, that's what but, we're trying to get at. Right.
0: Well, I think, and I think that's where we're actually where we are. This makes it sound like we haven't agreed on anything, but I think what our actual no, our this outcome, is total
2: agreement. No, yeah, yeah, because I think our yeah. outcome
0: right. that we've come on is this um, evaluation perspective.
2: He just doesn't want to put numbers to it, because Well, he no, no, that they're we do put like Numbers totally to and I'm
0: and I'm the one who started off because with like we actually had a long conversation about text right. mining. They asked me about that, so I right. do like enumerating stuff, but I just don't think it should. I don't think it should be seen as the only way to validate a reality Mm. i guess well so so i'm an anthropologist you know um i think i totally think numbers and quantity are important you know i watch sesame street i get it the the numbers out there in the world they matter um it's just you know real quick closing closing thoughts he just cut us off Uh, wow
1: i love working with engineers it has been my distinct pleasure
2: total ditto yeah.
1: Awesome. So maybe you guys can come back on the show and we can continue the conversation. Um, but we're actually out of time for this week. So thank you both for um, volunteering your time to come talk to us. Uh, we always love to have new people on here. And we love to have non-anthropologists that are anthropologically inclined. That's the, Yeah, thanks very much. Yes, that is the point of Anthro Alert. is try to spread the perspective. And we think what you guys are doing is fantastic. So. Um, everyone have a good weekend and come back and listen to us on next Friday. We'll see you then.